So celebrating that, and now I want to introduce uh, the first of our two guest preachers today. I'll, and Chris has the bulletin notes. I even have this to remind me. All right. Um, on the one side is the first guy's message, and on the other side is the second. And I'd encourage you, if you don't have a bulletin and a pen, please raise your hand, and Chris will put one in your hand. All right. So we're going to prepare our hearts and our laptops. <clears throat> Very good. Let me introduce the first uh, again, we were so blessed this morning. This morning's service was live streamed. If you want to go watch Zach Stichter and um, Paul Hostetter, uh, their sermons this morning, they were fantastic. What a blessing. And we're in for more now. Uh, the first man has already been up here on stage and is not a stranger to most people. But in case you don't know him, his name is Tristan Spooler, and uh, you'll recognize him when he comes up. I just want to say it's been a joy to, uh, to walk in growing in Christ and leading and serving in this church with Tristan over the last 16 months since I've been here. Uh, God has his hand on his life. He, is, he has a profound sense of worship and uh, a hunger to grow as a Christ follower, Christian man, and leader in, in Jesus' church. Uh, he's had quite a busy week, and yet he has been able to finish his message. Would you please welcome him as he comes uh, come on up, Tristan. Let's give him a big welcome as he comes. That's my time. <laughs> that noise caused anyone else to flinch a little bit? I know when I hear my alarm clock sound uh, outside of context, it reminds me of that feeling that I feel every morning when I hear it. I go, ooh, it reminds me of my least favorite part of the day, uh, waking up. <laughs> How many of you would consider yourselves morning people? Okay, uh, listen to me. You need to understand how much of a gift that really is. <laughs> because the rest of us in this room, that's, you know we have a 9.15 service? <laughs> That's, the rest of us are here at 11 because we, we cannot do 915. Uh, if you don't believe me, take a look at this. This is my alarm clock app. Um, I'm, I'm serious. Screenshot, because I know if I just set my alarm at 5, I'm going to hit stop, and then I'm going to go back to bed. <laughs> um, I struggle every morning to wake up and fight myself to get out of bed. <laughs> I, I, you're still processing, I know, it's okay. But then, you know, after about three or four alarms have gone off, I allow my mind to wander to the reason that I've set whatever early alarm it is. Uh, my responsibilities for the day. Uh, I think about being late or not fulfilling my commitments, and that provides me the motivation to get out of bed. And we've all had to do this. We know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We've all, whether it's getting out of bed or something else, had to coax ourselves to do the things that we don't want to do but we know that we need to do. As part of the men's leadership class for the last uh, six, five, six months, um, I don't think it's been that long, for the past several months, every Saturday morning, I've met with four guys. Uh, one of those men is Rick DeBoost, who many of you know. He serves as an elder at our church. Many of you know that he had some serious health complications a few years ago that required him to change his lifestyle. So every Saturday morning, the th other three of us men, we order bacon, eggs, hash browns, a nice breakfast quiche. Uh, and Rick, every Saturday morning, doesn't matter where we go, 
will consistently order the same thing, a nice, firm, hearty loaf of oatmeal. <laughs> Rick hates oatmeal. So why does Rick order oatmeal? Rick gets oatmeal because oatmeal is the better choice for Rick. Rick is devoted to his family. Rick is devoted to his life. His devotion is stronger than his emotion. So what Rick does with us every Saturday morning, it, it's exactly what David is doing in Psalm 103. Go ahead and open up Psalm chapter 103. Here's a trick. If you open up to exactly halfway through your Bible, you should land somewhere in the Psalms, and then you can do the math to figure out the rest to get you to 103. We don't know exactly when David wrote this psalm, but most think it was likely after the big kerfuffle that he had with Uriah and his wife Bathsheba, because, most scholars believe this, because David has this observable appreciation for grace throughout the whole entire psalm. And with that in mind, we look at verses 1 and 2. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The first thing that we learn from David here is to command yourself to praise. That should be your first blank there. Command yourself to praise. Uh, look at this. Who is David addressing in these verses? His soul. <laughs> He's talking to himself. He says the word bless. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, there are many Old Testament words for both bless and praise, and we could spend a lot of time on all of them. But the one that is used here meant to humbly submit oneself before God. So David, in talking to himself, he says, Did your pride, soul, submit yourself before God? In these two verses, I see David teaching us three things. The first thing that I see David teaching us is to pursue devotion over emotion. What David believes with his mind, what he knows he ought to do, he knows he ought to bless the Lord, what he believes with his mind, he then commands his heart to do. The immature human tendency is to allow the desires of our hearts to influence what we believe with our minds. Hey, take a look at this picture. Uh, as you can see, we've got a train. Um, and most of us know how trains work. You've got the engine, and then the rest of the train is pulled by the engine. What most people do is we put emotion in the driver's seat of our train, and we allow our devotion to follow behind. So whatever, whatever we feel, we allow that to drive and then whatever we think about, whatever we believe, that follows behind the engine. What David is doing is the opposite. What David has done is he said, no, this is what I know to be true and what I believe and what I want to do. I'm fully devoted to God. That is my, that is my engine. I'm going to allow my emotions to submit to that and follow along. What David believes with his heart, with his mind, he commands his heart to do. His first choice will be to bless the Lord. His emotions will follow where he first places his devotion. So David is teaching us to pursue devotion over emotion. How do we do this? Well, David shows us that we should praise God first for who God is. Look at this, right in verse one, David says, bless his holy name. 
The name of the Lord used in verse 1 is Yahweh, which is the Jewish proper name for God. Encompassed in that, that one name is all of God's character. There are many names used in the Old Testament to describe the attributes of God. We could spend all morning on just those, but here's some. Some include El Elyon, the Most High God, Adonai, our Master, Jehovah Ra, our Shepherd, Jehovah Rapha, the Healer, El Elam, the Everlasting God. So why do we praise him? Because all these things are true of him. That's, that's who God is. We praise God because of who God is. But David also shows us in verse 2 to praise God for what God does. In verse 2, you can see David instructs himself, forget not all his benefits. Hey, soul, don't forget all the things that God does for you as well. Uh, there's so many examples that we could give for this, but re really we don't need to because that's what David does the rest of the psalm as he lists out all of these things that God has done for him, for his nation, and really for us as children of God. In addition to commanding yourself to praise, David displays that you should also remind yourself of why God deserves praise. In verses 3 through 5, we see that our God gives redemption. And this is the first of many things that God does that reminds us of why he deserves our praise. But, but here's what David says. Look at this. Forget not all his benefits, he who forgives all your iniquities, he who heals all your diseases, he who redeems your life from destruction, he who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, he who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Think about that. All these things that defined your life, sin, disease, destruction, and God has flipped all of those on their heads and instead given you forgiveness and healing and restoration. That's called redemption. And he completely deserves our praise for all of that. But it's not just that. We also see in verses 6 and 7 that our God gives justice. And we want this, don't we? All of us have this inner sense of justice that's raging. In fact, in Romans 8, Paul says that all creation groans like the groans of childbirth for God to restore all things which explains so many of the loud cries that we hear in our, in our world for, for justice to prevail. Since sin has entered the world, all of creation has desired the justice that only God can give and provide. And David says God gives this to the oppressed and, and to Israel. Take a look at this. Verses 6 and 7, he says, The Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Now, we are, not, we are not Israel. But as we have been learning in our journey through Exodus, what we learn about the character of God in the story of the Israelites, we know is still true of the character of God our Father today. If we can see that our God provided justice for his people in the face of Pharaoh's oppression, then we can trust that God will bring justice into the situations tainted by sin today. It's how he's always worked, our God always has given justice, and he's totally worth praising for that. 
And lastly, in verses 8 through 12, we see that God gives grace. Take a look. David writes, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor has he punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Our church is named Community. We live in blank college town. We are part of the Charis Fellowship of Churches, which Charis is the Greek word for. Yeah, you guys are great. Uh, yes, grace. We like grace. Let's not allow the fact that we are constantly surrounded by this concept to take away the, the absolute awe that we should be filled with when we consider the grace of our Lord. Our Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in mercy. Now take a look at this globe. It's a pretty nice globe. Think about directions for a second, right? We are somewhere here-ish. Yeah, right there. If I start heading north, I can head north for a while until I reach about right here. Once I, once I get here, the only way that I can go is south, any direction. I, I've, I've reached maximum north. But I'm right here, let's say I'm right here, and I start, I start, heading, I start heading east, right? I just keep going east. And I'm still going east. When does east become west? I can go east eternally. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed your iniquities, your sins from you. That's how far God has separated you from the bondage of your sin. That's called grace. God gives grace and he's totally worth praising for that. So what do we do with that? Well, step one, we receive this grace. Perhaps you're sitting here, you don't feel redeemed. You, I talk about how God gives redemption, but you feel destroyed. Or, or, or you feel oppressed, and you, you know you need grace. You were born into a world where your sins and your decisions and your ability, those things are your name. And God wants to separate that from you as far as the east is from the west and offer you grace and forgiveness instead. If you've never received that, would you today? And if you do, would you let someone here know immediately? We'd love to celebrate that with you. Secondarily, here's what you can do. Pursue devotion over emotion. Every morning, my alarm clock goes off so early because I've devoted my mornings to the Lord. I just know if I don't do it in the first thing in the morning, I'm, I'm going to let my day go by and then I'm going to get tired and it's not going to happen. I've devoted my morning times to the Lord. So I, I get up after about three or four alarms. I get up, I go to my living room, I sit on my couch, I open my journal, I write down a prayer. I prayed for many of you in that journal. 
uh, and I spend time in scripture. I hate mornings, uh, but my devotion to the Lord trumps my emotion. And listen, when I, place, when I place my devotion fully in the Lord, my emotions do follow. They always do. One final thought. We gather every week on Sunday mornings, and we do much together. But the one thing that we all physically do together at the same time every week is when we gather is, is praise. Why, why is that? Because God loves it. The New Testament tells us over and over and over how much God loves to hear his children sing. Sometimes I don't want to sing. In fact, sometimes a church band sounds like my 5 a.m. alarm. Uh, but then I remind myself of, of all that we've just discussed, and I'm compelled to submit myself humbly before God. And I let the melody leave my mouth. I let, I let the praises leave my mouth. What if, what if that was our attitude walking into our gatherings? Our gatherings would be celebratory and joy-filled. And in those acts of humble submission, starting here, we train ourselves to live this way in all of our decision-making, always. Consistently submitting ourselves humbly before the Lord. I want that. I think many of us do as well. Let's pray. God, thanks for this morning. God, thanks uh, for your word. It's just, it's all right there, who you are and, and all that you've done. And God, we stand in awe of it. God, thanks that we have it, we have access to it. And God, may we be changed by it. Would you fill our hearts with awe and wonder and gratitude and humility before you? Let those things become the entirety of who we are and help us to walk and grow in all those things. God, help us to choose to bless you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's say thank you to Tristan for his... for his time in the Word and diligent study on our behalf. Uh, all right, we are halfway through this service, and the next man I want to introduce is Zach Harding. Uh, one, something I've learned about Zach, a few things I've learned about Zach. First of all, Zach, thank you for your military career that brings us to the place where we can celebrate our freedom. Beyond that, now I've met Zach. He was not in the military when I met Zach, when I met him. Uh, what I've seen is that he has devoted his life entirely to following Christ, to being built by Christ and being a, a leader in his home and increasingly so in his church as well. Uh, Zach has a profound hunger uh, for truth and for following it and, and giving that same kind of military intensity uh, to that. And I, I do believe that's our calling as uh, followers of Christ, and he is going to inspire us as he preaches God's truth to us. Let's welcome Zach Harding to our Thank you, Pastor Reg, for the kind words. Um, I apologize, those of you that like to take notes. I was late, so you're going to have to stare at my stone face. Something else Pastor Reg learned is I don't smile much. Stare at my face and just listen and take notes um, as the Lord um, leads you. So, George Mueller 
was deemed the robber of the cruel streets. He was a thief and a playboy before the Lord got a hold of him. In 1825, um, his dad, who had also left him in jail for a spell when he was 16, sent him off to theological school because he thought, well, if he becomes a clergyman, he'll at least make good money. So with obviously incorrect motivation, (laughs) um, it is reported that he went to his first Bible study to make fun of Christians. And as we would expect from our Lord, he walked away a saved man. So after he came to know Christ and married and preached for a while, George's heart and his wife's heart were broken for the orphan kids in the streets of England. At that time, um, there were tens and reportedly sometimes hundreds of thousands in the streets um, due to typhoid, cholera, and just pure, pure poverty. So... But George was once stated, or once stated of himself, for the first four years after conversion, I made no progress. It was because I neglected the Bible. God showed me that the word of God alone is our standard and our judgment, and that only the the Holy Spirit can explain it, so... In Luke 13, someone asked Jesus, Lord, are there just a few who are being saved? And rather than answering directly, our Lord said, strive, strive to enter the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter, but will not be able. But once we have entered that narrow door into salvation, as Mueller and many in here have, Do we stop striving? If we continue striving, what are are our motivations? These are the things we'll examine this morning and hopefully be pruned or confirmed or convicted by the Holy Spirit. So stay with me and we'll also see how George Mueller's story ended. So the first question is, do we continue striving? Well, let's start with our core claim. What is our core claim as believers? We believe in and love Jesus Christ, right? An old preacher once said, I am not moved by what I see. I am not moved by what I feel. I am moved by what I believe. And like it or not, that is a natural law for all of us. I found I reckon upon many things well. Um... And without much thought, based upon the, um, my beliefs or the facts um, or reality. For instance, I believe if I jump off my roof, I'm going to hurt my legs or break my bones. So what do I do? I don't jump off my roof. <laughs> Matter of fact, I don't get on my roof unless I absolutely have to. <laughs> if it's steep, I'm calling someone else. I believe if I educate my children, they will perform higher in life. So what do I and what do we do? We educate our children. I believe if I eat food, I won't starve. So what do I do? I eat, right? So you can see, you can go from super complicated, super simple, but the reality is 
the natural law is we act upon our beliefs. In the same manner, if we look at what the Bible says about the implications of our belief and the confidence of the Son of God, you'll find there is a real expectation of change. Immediate, ongoing. Not that we cause the change, because only God can bring the good. But the change in us is a sign. It's, it's the fruit of God's work in us. It's proof of our claim to our belief. The Bible says we will know them by their fruit. If you want to turn to 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in that way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. So let's walk through that backwards. The old is gone. We are new creatures. Recognizing nobody by the flesh, or you could say worldly values, measurements, and viewpoints. No longer living for ourselves, we have died to self. Living for Christ and controlled by his love. So we not only continue striving, but we strive more as new creatures with new values and new worldviews. But we are not alone. God gives us both the desire, the desire and the strength. As described in 2 Corinthians 6, 6 through 10, Paul is committing the ministry to the Corinthians but what he says well displays the contrast of old and new viewpoints and the power source and attributes of our striving. Verses six through seven talks about the power source and the attributes of our striving in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, and the power of God by weapons of righteousness in our right hand and our left. And then verses 8 through 10 describe the contrast between the old world viewpoint and the new creation viewpoint. By glory and dishonor, by evil report and good report, regarded as deceivers, yet true. As unknown, yet well known. Dying, but behold, we live, as punished yet not put to death, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many truly rich, as having nothing yet possessing all things. So yes, we, just, we strive more as believers after entering the narrow door, 
but we are under a new eternal viewpoint and power source. And you can see those contrasts. So, once we've established that we continue striving even stronger, what, what are our motivations for striving? First Timothy, First Timothy 4, 8 through 10. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. It is for this that we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God who saved us. Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Remember, as new creations, our treasure is hidden in Christ. His love and his glory are our motivations. Matthew 13, 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid again. And from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he has and bought it. Notice the man didn't find the treasure in the field and then bury it and come visit it at times, dig it up, rebury it so he could keep the rest of his life. No, he sold out for that treasure. John 15, 8 through 11. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. As believers, we ought to want more than anything to abide in Christ. The result is our joy being made full. We strive and agonize more yet we are more full of joy. So what do we do with this? Finishing the story of George Mueller, after admitting neglect of the Bible, it was recorded that he read the Bible over 200 times in his lifetime. He became God's instrument to save or provide for hundreds of thousands of, or hundreds of, thousands of orphans during his life and continuing on through today. Early in his orphanage days, he did not reveal the food and financial needs to others of the orphanage, but simply prayed to God, and God provided. It's recorded a couple instances where the orphans were sat down at the breakfast table and there was no food, and they gave grace, and the door knocked, and someone brought food, said, the Lord... The Lord told me to bring this. 
After many successful years of opening and operating orphan homes that totaled a capacity of 2,500 children, at the young age of 70, that makes you feel good, right? Some of you. He started traveling the world to gain support and expand globally for orphan care and to preach the word of God. Rather than slow down at 70, he, he expanded. He's, he strove, continued striving for Christ. So, but not every believer can or is intended, if you listen to Paul early this morning, to be a George Mueller. But every believer is intended to abide in Christ. And when we abide in, abide in him, we will produce his fruit and be full of joy. So how do we get there? First, meditate on the word of God. Do not neglect the Bible. I'm an analytical person. So I already did the work for us on what George's 200 times through the Bible uh, would look like in our lives. So if I take the 88 years he lived, which is a long time in the 1800s, just saying, I subtract the 20 years he didn't know Christ and the four years he said he neglected the Bible, that leaves us with 64 years. Breaking it down to words because there's variables in the chapters. Um, it comes down to 6,760 words per day. So I also tested that on myself this week because the book of Hebrews is about 6,900 words. Um, it takes about an hour, a little less, and that is at a reading pace of a technical manual, because obviously the Bible is our, it's our, it's our life, right? It's our life source. <laughs> God is our life source, and that is how he communicates to us, aside from the Spirit. Um, so please understand, many of our motivations must be explained to us by the Word, how do we know what God loves? How do we know what God hates and values if we are not studying him daily? How do we know his attributes? How do we, as Tristan just convicted us, how do we know and stay focused on his glory and his worthiness to praise him daily if we're not in his word? How do we abide in the vine if we are not? And how can we be ready to repudiate false doctrines and doctrines and demons as they come against us and our families and our friends? Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, even penetrating as far as division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts. Brothers and sisters, we must be in the word of God if we believe. The second one, be in the Word of God. Simultaneously, we ought to be praying. Pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal your heart to you. Ask for that pruning conviction that will cause you to lay down idols 
as Zach Stichter preached so well this morning. Has anyone ever caught themselves not wanting to pray to God about being stripped of something? I have. And the, the, the thing is, we can't trust ourselves to see our own idols. And they're also not always physical and right in front of us, right? It's not a pole or a statue. Romans eight twenty six to 27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not, do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, for he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I don't know about you, that's one of the most comforting passages in the Bible. Because when we are full of anguish or pain or praise or anything that we're beyond words because we, we've all been there, we can look to the Spirit and he will intercede for us beyond our ability. Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert always and keep on praying. And Jesus is our best example. Going back to step one, meditate on the Gospels. Christ often slipped away to be with his Father. That's where he regained his energy. Study his prayer life. And remember the disciples asked Christ to teach them to pray. My brothers and sisters, there is so much to pray about, so much for our souls to agonize over. If we appeal to history, Hannah... Esther, Nehemiah, Daniel, George Moeller, Watchman Nee, Samuel Morris, and countless more. The giants of faith were nothing in the eyes of most men. But they read the word, they prayed, and they were fixated on the treasure in heaven. So the last one, don't neglect the Bible, pray. The last one is examine ourselves. Examine your time bank. Where is your time going? Is our time allocation truly reflecting our belief? We often look at finances, which is good. I'm not taking away from that. 10% is the accepted minimum tithe for monies. We have all heard a sermon or two on looking at our bank statements to see where our money is going. But 10% of our day is 2.4 hours. It only takes an hour of reading to keep up with the robber of the cruel streets. How much of our time is going to purses with holes in them? Because it is our one non-renewable resource. Once it's gone, it's gone, you can't have it back. So consider your wasted time in light of eternity. There are lots of examples. I'm not gonna stand up here and pick on any specific thing. But, Think of a scale, think of like the, I think an easy picture in everyone's mind might be the scales of justice, right? So picture that scale. Put the Bible and prayer time on one side of that scale and pick apart anything else in your life and set it, don't pick it apart. Take anything else in your life that you spend your time on and put it on the other side of that scale. See if it measures up to your belief and to eternity.
This is between you and God. In Mueller's words, the word of God is your standard in judgment. My prayer for all of us is that the Spirit prunes and convicts. And like an onion, there's going to be layer after layer after layer. <laughs> um, as I said, we can't trust our own hearts. And when we think, we think we've got one idol out of the way, guess what? The Lord's going to reveal another one to us. And one thing we can be assured is that as we become less, we can trust that he's going to become more. And our joy is going to be made more full. If you don't know Christ, it is much the same. Read his word. Start in the Gospel of John or wherever you're led. For me, it was Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And pray that Jesus would reveal himself to you and bring you to a repentance that saves and will free you from the burdens of the world and true lasting joy. There are many here that would love to discuss, discuss Christ with you. You can use the communication cards or simply start a communication start a conversation. So if I may summarize the messages today, some of you may have sat through all four. Um, I'm sure you're very blessed if you did. I know I'm blessed greatly by the other three. Zach taught us to trust and obey. Paul showed us we must first and always love God and love others. Tristan showed us we must reckon upon our devotion not our emotions, but act upon the things we know and praise God always. And now, in order to trust, obey, love, follow, praise, worship, we have to have our priorities straight and ensure that we are in the word of God and on our knees, that we may know him more, laying aside the things which are not profitable for the life to come. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that we can trust you. And God, I ask for your Holy Spirit to do a mighty work in each of our souls, in each of our hearts. Stripping us of ourselves, God, and making much of you, that we may serve you and love you and have, have our joy be full and complete. God, do not let us deceive ourselves. I thank you for your blessings upon this day. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray.